the Cambridge Marketing Podcast with Kieran Kapoor. Brought to you by Cambridge Marketing College. See their range of courses and apprenticeships at marketingcollege.com. Hello and welcome to our 251st episode of this podcast. You may be aware that we do two podcasts a week, one on a topical subject, which is called Opinionated Marketers, and one a week is on an in-depth marketing issue. And in this week's Opinionated Marketers podcast, Charles Nixon used the phrase perma-VUCA crisis. And as VUCA is becoming one of those sort of cliche acronyms, I thought we'd explore it a bit further. So VUCA, V-U-C-A, stands for Volatility, Uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity. And it originates from an American war college where it was created to reflect the reality of the end of the Cold War and the collapse of the USSR. So whereas there'd been the one big enemy, there was now the world had changed. And so they came up with this acronym VUCA. Volatility is the speed of changes that are happening in the world. So at the moment, we would be looking at things like climate change, um, wars, and obviously the rise of AI. And this speed of change inevitably leads to uncertainty. So to what extent can we predict the future? And how on earth do we prepare for this future? Complexity is just the sheer number of factors we now need to consider, the sort of interconnectivity of our world. For example, this week, Charles Nixon commented that one of our biggest issues in 2024 is going to be the problems of supply chains due to issues of shipping. So conflicts are leading to issues with transporting containers, and this is leading to supply shortfalls, which, of course, has knock-on effects on many businesses. And then finally, the ambiguity is just how hard it is to interpret all the information and the complexity and the uncertainty that we have in front of us. So VUCA has a nice ring to it, which is why it's becoming quite a popular model. And according to the Harvard Business View, it can be used as a way of going, hey, it's crazy out there, and just avoiding any sort of strategic planning. You know, what's the point of planning when the world is volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous? Um, for example, maybe you planned for lots of great new things to do in 2020 to encourage your customers to come to a store, visit your business or attend face-to-face classes. And then, of course, along came lockdown. So there is a danger that VUCA just becomes a description. Oh, well, it's lockdown. We've, it's The world's uncertain. But you can't just say, oh, it's all too difficult when you're in business. You have to find ways of surviving. And looking back, the amount of innovation in 2020 from businesses large and small was incredible. Um, Small businesses that used to um, have small numbers of restaurant tables suddenly started delivering food at home or creating online classes. Wine companies created online wine appreciation sessions and so on. Plus, of course, there was all the innovation shown around creating the COVID vaccines. So one of the answers to a VUCA world is, oh, just innovate. But innovation is another one of those sort of catch-all worlds. It's a bit like governance saying, oh, we just need to grow the economy without a plan for how. So in a crisis, innovate. In a VUCA world, innovate really isn't very helpful. So what we need to do is think about the fact that our businesses are made up of people and we have customers and all of those people have different attitudes to change, different abilities to handle complexity and ambiguity. So you do need a level of management and possibly a change of management style in order to cope with this VUCA world. Um, 
College fellow Natasha Wilson, who's um, a development consultant, explains that we all need to make a leap of faith and allow space to allow ideas to come forward within a business, but also to retain some overall control of the business. Most of us will resist because we, unless we have a vision of what the future will look like, you were talking about the vaccine and what they had in mind, it's very difficult to take people on board and to encourage them to change. Um, there's a leap of faith and often we're more comfortable as human beings to deal with um, things that are not quite right and difficulties because we're so fearful of what else could happen. So um, I think it's, it's, it's really a mindset. It's not just about having the ideas and the skill set. It's also a mindset and a vision. So I've, you know, I've, I'm very lucky I work with uh, people who have a huge amount of drive and vision in different environments, including research. Um, and, uh, and this is what is also empowering others to go along with it and to find new solutions. Um, so maybe that's where the change is, the change is between the survival versus um, you know, innovating is also our ability to agree that it might be a little bit uncomfortable, that we will have to go through a phase where we are looking for different solutions and we might not get there straight away. But there is this vision and this drive to actually look at what we do in a very different way and, uh, and open up possibilities. So if you think about it, you know, we all are relying so heavily on technology and mobile phones. And imagine what was a life like beforehand. Imagine, do you remember going back to fax machines or to telex or whatever it was, the technology that we use? The power we have with that technology being connected now and having the chance to do this podcast when we're all, you know, remote in our uh, own offices is incredible. But if you had asked people whether they would have wanted that, they would have probably said no, because they couldn't imagine what it would help them with. So that forward thinking and that ability to have a, a mindset that talks and think about the future and the benefits is, is really critical, um, I think, to organizational growth and to, uh, to the way we develop as well in our own professions. So where do you think that um, mindset and vision comes from? Is it only ever have to come from the top or can it come from anybody at any stage in their career? You know, this is a really good question, Karen. And um, in my experience, I think it comes from very different places, but it has to be at, at one point uh, synchronicity. So, you know, um, leadership and, and vision is really important to empower others, to listen to others and to make it possible for people to come up with ideas and solutions. And at the same time, recruiting the right people and allowing them to thrive in their environment. So there's a lot of work, you know, being done about uh, equality and diversity, but there's also something that is more important or as important is about inclusion. So you may have the right people, but if there aren't the processes or the trust or the space for your employees to come up with new ideas and solutions, and that can be at a very technical level as well. You know, I was looking back um, at some of the tools that we can use, for instance, in communication, and I was just amazed at the thousands of software and, and tools that are available for us to see how we connect with our different stakeholders and how we measure you know, the results uh, of our communication, for instance. And this has changed quite drastically. But again, this can only be used and, 
and you know in a in a positive way if you have the space uh, for people to be able to take initiatives and to come up with uh, new solutions and suggestions on how they might want to do their job in a more effective way. So I'm really interested to see what you think, Kieran, but in my view, it's, a, it's, it's combined, a combined approach. You need a good balance where innovation is welcome at the top and leaders are embracing it, but also there are you know, uh, areas of expertise and there is space within the organization for people to um, come up with the solutions and, and embed them in their practices. I thought your your comment about inclusion and having the processes in place to allow that is really important. I Very early on in my career, I was uh, working in an organisation where we knew a very dynamic CEO who made loads of changes. But one of the things he came up with was a just do it strategy. Well, mm-hmm. a just do it strategy. You've got a bright idea. Just do it. Fantastic. I mean, for those of us that were early stage career and wanted to make changes, it was wonderful. The trouble was we all went off and made different changes in different Uh directions and sometimes we crossed over each other Um, and we ended up with some very very confused customers and I think that was that was the danger there wasn't the processes in place to allow you to do that in a logical way. Yes and it's interesting that goes back to this alignment I was reading a a book recently about this and I just can't remember the name of the author unfortunately but it was about how we align all the efforts so that has to be linked to a strategy you know to saying we'll use innovation maybe in certain areas, whether it's product processes, uh, internal communication, whatever it is, um, new product development. Um, But there has to be, I think, a a way to prioritize. And so people work in the same direction. So I I get absolutely what you're saying, Kieran. And I've been in organizations like that as well, where there was a lot of uh, power and a lot of ideas and excitement, especially if you work for startups, for instance, as well. But unless you combine that energy together, it can be quite detrimental because it's patchy. And I think people get a bit, of, I think, out of breath as well. You know, you need to to make sure that there are results that you can measure and see um, how it's affecting your business or, you know, your, your organization uh, positively. Otherwise, I think I always compare it, you know, between the marathon and the sprint. It's like work is more like a marathon. You have to keep having the right energy to finish <laughs> and to, to carry on and, and see the results. Um, and so there's a balance between that. Yeah, absolutely. So are there models and things that we can do to look at um, emotions around change? Uh, yes, so um, there are, you know, a lot of different frameworks that you can have a look at. at. Um, initially, um, the work was carried out uh, from a psychologist who was looking at uh, grief and, uh, and specifically how people manage uh, grief. So there's been a lot of similarities between, you know, experience of grief and then change within organizations or in our life in general. Um, and this has been very helpful, but I think with every framework you might look at, it's like people not going through the same, um, in a way, the same, you know, types of emotions at the same time. So it's a very personal matter. And I think sometimes we tend to judge where we feel like, oh, well, you know, we've given time for people to deal with a change, whether it's a restructure, for instance, or a merger, or people may have to be made redundant because uh, of the economic climate, or there are other ways that, you know, force people to change. Like the typical thing as well is like changing building and and people's 
um, desk having to be decided where they should be. And that can be extremely stressful for employees, uh, for all of us, working from home versus hybrid or being asked to go back to the office. All these changes may impact us very differently. So what I would say is that we have to allow for people to react and the pace of their reaction may be different and we have to allow for that. There isn't this kind of like perfect formula uh, which says it will take three weeks for people to deal with change. Um, so I would say it's, it's, it's having a process that makes a big difference so that there's constant communication and there's also very supportive, um, you know, managers or supportive teams where people have the chance to air some of their concerns and they feel listened to. Um, and for some people, they react much quicker. They, they get from maybe like a shock or, or denial to more of appreciating the change and understanding the benefit of that position. Um, and the work I do with, with some of, uh, or, you know, the leaders or, or people who are running large uh, groups, um, the way they are handling that is that they are becoming more aware of their own emotions. So we go into the emotional intelligence, you know, where you understand how you are switching state of emotions. So I think it's there's a big parallel between innovation and change and innovation and the uh, kind of like whirlpool of emotions. And we have to get better at dealing with this because as you say, we still have a lot of uncertainty. We're still in a VUCA world so maybe that's what we need to do, um, embrace change and embrace the emotional upheaval that goes with it and get better at managing it. So what else can companies do in this um, VUCA world? I mean, I, I, I mean I, I've encouraged you to talk about the emotional side and I think it's, it's really interesting. But what other frameworks and structures should we companies be putting in in this very difficult environment? So do you remember, Kieran, many years ago, when we look at strategic plans, we had plans that were five, ten years plans. I don't know if you remember Oh, that, that. was a long time ago, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. So now when you discuss this with organisations, um, and it can be functional you know, plans or more strategic plans, let's say that the time frame has, has narrowed <laughs> quite a lot. Um, so maybe that's, that's about that. It's having, you know... Uh, systems to make sure that you have additional information, the right data at the right time. So there's a lot more around having scenario planning options that are shorter timescales. You can still have a vision and ambition that might be still three to five years, but the, um, I suppose, operational or the most the, the shorter strategic plan is probably one year now i would say one year probably maximum with a lot of alterations on a three months to six months basis depending on the type of market in which you operate or the type of organization you are um, it is different if you're for instance maybe a charity or if you have funding uh, you know from the public sector or uh, other types of funding because then the cycles are slightly different but that ability to um, being really aware of what is going on in the marketplace and also what's happening in your organisation. So VUCA is definitely not an excuse not to do any planning. It's the reason to think about what you need to support staff and customers in the fear of changes and to stay agile and the things that you need to do to help yourself meet that. However, if you think VUCA is scary, try the newest acronym, BANI. 
Created by an American futurist, Casio, the term considers all the changes that have been brought about by the pandemic. So BANI is B-A-N-I, and it stands for Brittle, Anxious, Non-Lilia and Incomprehensible. Brittle is the idea that we're susceptible to catastrophe at any time. So every business is built on fragile foundations. So we need to consider our resilience to changes. And that means possibly building up a, a cash chest of money, making certain that we've got alternative ways of doing business. But we need to be aware that our foundations are always going to be brittle. Anxiety is becoming one of those sort of almost standard things that we all feel now. Um, but it both in personalised, in the job market, um, and also within businesses. You know, business, we see redundancies, we see businesses going under, and that actually also creates a sense of urgency and anxiety and can make us make bad decisions. N is non-linear, and that's because we live in a world where events can seem quite sort of disconnected and quite disproportionate. And Detailed long-term planning may not make sense, but we still need some level of planning. And finally, incomprehensible is just the misunderstanding that's generated when we, we find some answers, but the answers just don't make sense. So we then feel more out of control. So that's BANI, brittle, anxious, non-lilia and incomprehensible. Maybe we'll cover that in a future episode. And my thanks to Natasha Wilson for her insights on VUCA. If you would like to hear the whole of my episode with Natasha Wilson, or if you missed the wonderful Winnie the Pooh reading last week, do search out those episodes. Both of those episodes and our other 250s can be found wherever you get your podcasts from. And please do subscribe so that the podcast lands in your feed twice a week. Thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you again next week. The Cambridge Marketing Podcast from Cambridge Marketing College. Training marketing and PR professionals across the globe.